I'm grateful for that Mike said yes when I asked him to do it, and I'm, you know, everybody, it's hard to, hard to, uh, to do this, and uh, glad that he's here. Then I was thinking about an introduction for Mike, and then I thought one of the great things in AA is that we don't need any introductions here. Um, just what we say, our name, and I'm an alcoholic, and then. Uh, we don't need any validation for, for walking in here. So here's Mike. Sounds more like you just couldn't think of anything. <laughs> Ice broken. My name's Mike. I am a grateful and searching alcoholic. And I'm, I'm really grateful to be here. Um... I listened to a podcast today on the like hour drive home from work, and it was Oprah talking to some nerd named Gary. <laughs> and I don't tend to feel like I'm going to learn anything profound from a Gary, but he said something. He, he talks about something called authentic power. He talks about authentic power being when your personality comes to fully serve the energy of the soul. And I think that that is what we're all doing here when it comes down to it. So I think that that's what I'll talk about tonight. It's Gary. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I just got my one-year chip on Tuesday. That was the 22nd of January. Yeah, I I woke up on a Monday a year ago, on on Tuesday I guess, and uh, I was done. I was tired. I had uh, kind of exhausted every. You know, I explored every angle with the alcohol, and and it wasn't getting me anywhere. And I uh, I walked in here. And I finally decided to start taking some advice from some people. And uh, now I'm here and I'm healed. So thank you, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I was, um, I guess I'm kind of a, what would be called a high bottom. And uh, I was thinking about this the other day. I think that a high bottom is basically a low bottom, but with less paperwork. <laughs> I didn't get in a lot of trouble with the law, um, but I was miserable. I was lonely and isolated, and I hated myself, and I wanted to die every day. And I worked very hard to make it happen. Um, at the time, I probably didn't feel like I was lucky enough for it to happen, and now I'm just really grateful that it didn't. Um, yeah, I woke up in, in bed with a woman that I wasn't really... I didn't really care for either way. I know there were things that she wanted from me that I wasn't going to give her, but I needed a place to stay the night before because I wasn't going to drive all the way back to Dripping Springs as drunk as I was. Which is strange, because normally I just would. Um, but I woke up at her house to her, you know, beautiful smile and cheeriness and a bunch of Whataburger wrappers. And, <laughs> and I just knew that, that I couldn't do this to her. I couldn't do this to anybody 
anymore and I couldn't do it to myself. So I walked into Bolden and I sat down and like I said before, I started taking advice. I think the first thing that I had decided to do was to do the 90 and 90. And I don't remember that week at all. I mean, it, it must have been kind of cold. <laughs> but all I know is that I was here for two or three hours every day and then I would go home and I would think about how I was going to go forward with my life without this magical crutch that I had had for so long. Was I going to be able to write? Was I going to be funny anymore? Um, was anybody going to come around? You know, all the people that I lost, were they going to come back? Was I going to be able to find new people? I mean, I wasn't going to be in this room. It's <laughs> <laughs> weirdos. Um, I had kind of started laying the groundwork for recovery about a month before mid-December um, I decided one night to go to a recovery yoga that a friend of mine was doing on the east side and I walked into this little room with about five other people and we sat down and we went around and you know said our name and what our addiction was what our issue was and then uh, he talked for a little bit about sort of connecting our bodies in our minds and and our trauma and and it was beautiful. It was a, an amazing hour of just feeling really grounded. And when the night was over, they said, we're going to go out and eat right down the road. Um, and I normally say no to shit like that. I, I always say no to that. I actually don't like eating around strangers. I'm very weird about that. But I love restaurants, so we can be two things. Um, I said yes, and I went and I sat down with a bunch of people that were um, working on recovery, which I had never done before, and, and it was special. I felt very connected. They kind of let me talk a lot as the new guy, which is kind of a theme over the last year. Um, and it was great. And then at the end of the night, they said, uh, give me your phone number. And so I gave them my phone number. I didn't want to, but I did, and so now these, like, five people have my phone number. And then one of the women there says, hey, do you go to any meetings? No, not really. Well, there's one tomorrow that I like called Recovery uh, Solutions and Recovery or something. Um, I don't remember. It's over in Terrytown. And she said, you should go to the meeting. And I said, yes, I'll go to the meeting. And then I went home, and I went to sleep, and I didn't have a drink. And I woke up the next day, and... Um, I think I probably went to yoga, and I know that at about, I knew the meeting was at 7.30, and I had to be, well, I didn't have anywhere to be until then. And right at about 3 o'clock when the Blackheart, my favorite bar, opens, I had decided that I just really needed to talk to my friend who's a bartender there because I hadn't seen her in a long time. <laughs> I just really wanted to catch up with her. It just seemed like a really good time to do that. <laughs> So I got in my car and I started that way and then the phone rang and I had no idea who it was. And I pick up the phone and it's the guy that did the recovery yoga the day before. And he just wants to see how I'm doing. And I didn't tell him what I was up to. I told him, uh, I think I told him I was going to go to the library, check out the new library before the 7.30 meeting. 
And so I figured I'd have him off the phone by the time I got to the black heart, and he was not having it. Um, I wish I wish he was here right now. Um, yeah, he wasn't going to get off the phone, and we ended up talking for 45 minutes while I circled around Rainy Street in my car. And I finally... Um, I finally said, hey, I pulled up to the library. <laughs> and I, uh, I got, made sure I got off the phone before I opened the door because there's music. I parked right by Clive. There's music down there. And, um, yeah, I only had about 30 minutes of free time after that. And I did walk into the Black Heart, and I did say hello to that old friend. And I had a Topo Chico. And I felt really guilty about lying. And so I left, and I might have come here and gone to a meeting. I'm not sure. No, I didn't, because I went to that 7.30 meeting. And I told that story about that guy calling me randomly, and I cried. And that meeting changed my life because solutions and sobriety, maybe? I don't know. Did I say that already? It changed my life because it was a bunch of people that were in a great fucking mood. Um, I got there. And it was at this big church, and it was night, and I couldn't figure out which door was the one to go through. And so um, I texted the friend who told me to go, and I was like, I don't know which door to go through. Maybe I should just leave. (laughs) Within about two minutes, uh, she texted me and said, there's this guy named whatever the fuck, and he's inside waiting for you, so just walk right in. It was incredible. It was annoying as shit, but it was incredible. <laughs> so uh, that was sort of the, the road to that. I, I was going back weekly to the recovery yoga, and you know, by f- Friday I would have a drink. I think at one point I made it two weeks without a drink, but most Fridays I would get one. There was one night where I even left recovery yoga to go to a place and, and play and some music, and I didn't have a drink until about three minutes before I was going to leave. And I did, just a couple, but um, same old. So yeah, I'm coming to Bolden every day. I'm really fortunate. Nobody really gets the environment to get sober in that I got because uh, I was staying out in Dripping Springs with my folks. I wasn't working, so I just surrendered to the fact that my days were going to be spent in here. And when I wasn't in here, I was going to be out walking around. And uh, I didn't tell my folks what I was doing just yet because I had told them several times that I was going to get sober. And uh, it, it never worked out for any of us. Um, the best thing that's ever happened in this room, I think, happened the first Saturday. I walked into the women's meeting on accident because I didn't look at the schedule. And that was fine. And they just said, hey, um, come back at 1. And I came back at 1, and I sat in that empty chair right there. Um, and it was p- packed. There were a lot of people, but for some reason, the chair right next to me was was empty. And we, everybody's all bundled up, and this woman with a big jacket and a cap comes in, and she sits down right next to me, and I turn, and I say hello to her. And she turns and looks straight at me and says, you want to fuck? <laughs> and then this happens. <laughs> so I turn straight forward. <laughs> and then I just, uh, like the serenity prayer ends, and I hear, come on. 
I turn and I just like, I am so sorry, but I, I really need this. I was like, I've really got to focus. I appreciate it, though. Uh, about 15 minutes into the meeting, I ran out of coffee. And, and I see her, like, she looks at my mug and motions at it and says, go get some coffee. Okay. <laughs> Fuck, now I can't get coffee. So I made it another 15, and I finally I got up, and I got the coffee, and I'm in there pouring it, and she gets up and walks by me and just, like, gives me these eyes and just walks straight out the back. So I go back and sit down. And five minutes later, I see her open the door in the kitchen, and she looks at me like I'm insane. What is wrong with you? That was great. I was just, I think I turned ghost white. That meeting ended, and our friend who sits uh, right there, <laughs> Uncle Bob, uh, looked at me and just like, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I started a tradition where every Monday I would, um, I would get P. Terry's burger after the meeting if I stayed sober for a week because um, I'm a child. And I needed rewards. <laughs> I'm going to probably jump around a little bit as I remember things. Um, after two weeks of sobriety and being at, at least probably two meetings a day, I decided that I needed to share all this newfound wisdom with my... Um, I'll call her my ex. She was really just sort of my partner in crime for the five years before last year um, we had a terrible codependent disgusting relationship um, I still love her very much but we were terrible to each other and um, yeah I we can get into that later I invited her to a meeting she was seeing another guy and would split up with him about every other week like we would do. And um, when they were on an off week, I would try and connect with her because I was still insane. I was sober, but I was insane. And I invited her to come to a meeting, and for some reason, she said yes. So we met and, uh, down the road, and we walked over here. And on the walk over here, I think I tried to make some amends to her. Um, <laughs> So that was, I skipped right to that step and uh, made some amends to her. We walked in this room and we sat down and um, a woman that I had met through the yoga walked up and said hello to me and I introduced them and, and then we sat through the entire meeting and we walked over to P. Terry's to get the burger and the first thing that she says to me is, wow, I sure learned a lot about you in there. Um... The second thing she said to me was, who is that woman, the blonde, are you dating her? Um, and she probably said more to me. I think it was a really bad move to try and invite her. Um, I know it was, because I lived it and it fucking sucked. <laughs> but it was okay, because I, I really didn't have to deal with her um, in person that much anymore. But I did have that I was very much obsessed with her. And um, it was very, very hard to detach from her. 
I was very at peace with not drinking. It was very, it was easy for me because I knew what happened when I drank. The first step is super easy for me. And running the tape is really easy for me because I have 20 years of examples of what happens if I drink. Um, but for some reason, getting her out of, out of my head was, was really hard. And... Um, I think it kept me from making a lot of progress in this room, which is okay. Um, it's fine. It, I made it harder on myself, but I think that's just a natural thing when you're so attached to someone. I mean, we had sort of put roots into each other that we're just going to take some time to, to detach from. And I'm all over the place now. I also had the benefit of going to a therapist once a week. <coughs> Um, so that was really helpful. I started that in December. Um, when I, then I decided to start toying with sobriety because my last therapist was probably the best relationship I've ever been in in my life. Um, but she told me after about a year and a half, she said, Mike, you're doing great, but if you don't stop drinking, there's no reason to come in here anymore. And that was my last appointment. Uh, I've made that I made that choice a lot of times in the last 20 years and I uh, I, I regret it but I don't stress too much about it because it's in the past so uh, the first big test I'd say probably came around South by Southwest which um, in 2017 which I'll say is the worst year on record for me I spent South by Southwest with a big bottle of Norco and a lot of time to kill and a good amount of cash. And, uh, and the idea that was put in my head by my ex that nobody liked me. So I was getting up every morning and showing up at the Blackheart usually or other bars where I knew I could get in and stuff was going on for South by. And I was bringing the staff tacos. <laughs> and I was, you know... It was, I start with two of the Norco, and that way I'd feel all right until I could get my first drink, which could be 10 or noon on South by Southwest. And then I would drink a bit more and buy some more tacos and, and tip 70% because I needed to be liked. And um, I had about seven shows that week, and I don't remember any of them. But I know in the middle of the week, I called my manager in the morning and told her I had to stop drinking. And then the show that the next day, she showed up and I had a beer. And that meant that a week after South by Southwest, uh, we had a sit down and she told me that she wasn't going to work with me anymore if I kept drinking. And I promised her I'd stop. And I did stop. Um, I locked myself out in Dripping Springs uh, I was house-sitting at that point for about five weeks. And I, I actually I made it 35 days by myself, not coming into town, no meetings or anything, just me and some hallucinations, <laughs> which were um, not fun. And then I remember after the 35th day, I made this long Facebook post about being able to see really clearly and knowing, knowing what it really means to live. 
And I hit post, and then I had a beer before I went and played a show. And I, I got in my car, and I drove, and I did not feel safe driving after one beer. So I was like, that's it for today. And then the next day, I went to a motorcycle show, and a buddy of mine that I was with offered to buy me a drink. And I said, well, I had a beer yesterday, so I can have a vodka and soda today. And I had one, and it was great. And it made the people in the wheel of death, like, look so much cooler. And so I had a second one, and it was totally fine, and I made it home, and everything was okay. And then uh, at about 11 o'clock the next night, I was on my motorcycle going probably 115 without my helmet on, near blackout drunk, down 45. And that's kind of how it progresses. And I, um, I felt pretty hard after that, but I tried to, I tried to jump into the program uh, almost immediately. I think I only drank for a few days before I decided to come into town and go to a meeting down at Threadgill's. And it was an awesome meeting where everyone gets three minutes to share. And, and once everybody shared, it's just over. And I remember what I shared about. It was, uh, I don't really understand why things go well when I don't drink <laughs> and things are shitty when I do. That was my three minutes, basically. <laughs> the last guy that went spent his three minutes telling me what a fucking asshole I was. <laughs> and, and the last thing that this, like, badass alpha dog AA motherfucker said was, but it doesn't matter because you're never coming back anyway. And I almost thought, like, my first thought was, fuck this guy, I'll be back next week. And then I thought maybe he w it was reverse psychology. <laughs> and I didn't want him to win, so I went, <laughs> I went back to drinking. <laughs> so South By comes in 2018, and um, I got some work through a friend of mine. Uh, he works for a guy who's in the program, and I got to set up a bunch of equipment all week and work at these parties, and it wasn't that hard to not drink. It was hard to not murder these Bitcoin idiots that I was working for. Um, Bitcoin is stupid, and that's the honest-to-God truth. I think AA has taken that position. I said it's the only position they've decided to take. Bitcoin is dumb. But these people were in from Berlin, and, and they, were not, they were pretty nice to me, but they just weren't easy to deal with. Um, and it didn't help that I didn't know how to do anything that I was doing, and I wasn't allowed to tell them that I didn't know that. That was one of the stipulations of the job. Just pretend you know what you're doing, which is easy except for when you have to set up a bunch of equipment and it has to actually work. Uh, they caught me Googling, like, how to. <laughs> but it worked out really well. Um, at the end of the week, I got, I got a day off, and on my day off, it was really cool. I got to meet up with a friend of mine that I don't get to spend a lot of time with, and it's a woman that I love very, very dearly. And we got to spend a day together, and at the end of the day, um, I got to have one of those profound moments that you slowly get to have with people that you have a history with. Because the, the year before, we had actually sort of decided that we were going to start seeing each other which was a big win for me because I was a trash ball drunk without a job or a home. 
And she is one of the most lovely, kind, successful people I've ever met. And for some reason, while she was on a trip across, um, across the world working, I was able to convince her that we would make a good team. And so she was going to fly back, and we were going to team up. And it was going to be everything that I needed. So the day that she gets back is Halloween. We've got a mutual friend who's having a, um, a birthday party. And I just said, I'll meet you there. You know, she was going to fly back and be in around 9. She was going to go straight home, change clothes, and come right there and find me. And uh, she did that. But I got there real early and, um, and started in on the tequila, even though I had been drinking. It was football season, so I had been drinking probably... Scratch that. It was a day. <laughs> I was awake, so I had been drinking since I woke up. Um, I knew I needed to kind of keep it together, but that never really seemed to matter. So I remember her showing up and seeing her and thinking, God damn, she's beautiful. And then I remember her leaning over and saying, hey, you probably should drink less. I'm trying to introduce you to people and you're slurring your words. Um, and then I uh, was really embarrassed, so I went to the car, and I went to sleep in the car. And I woke up at about 5 in the morning, and I had a bunch of messages from her up until about 3.30 that said, hey, come over, just come to the house, it's fine. Um, and then I threw up and went back to sleep. And that was that. We never talked about it again. So I got to sit down with her and ask her if, if I remember any of that correctly. Because I started thinking that maybe I had made the whole thing up in my head. And she told me, no, no, that was real. I was coming to see you. And then you were drunk. And I've done that before. And I won't do it again. So that was the end of it. And that hurt to hear... But it also was, um, you know, it was good to know that I wasn't completely insane, for one. And it was good to know that someone found some value in me, even when I was very drunk. And then, uh, you know, I recognized that even if that had worked out, I would have fucked it up just like I did with everybody else that I had tried to date in my life. And, uh, and then I got to figure out how to love someone without any expectations from them without wanting anything from them. Because I had blown my chance with this person. And it was really cool. So I've, I got to spend like the last eight, nine months just really truly loving someone and not needing anything from them. And I think she does the same. So that's really cool. And that was a nice release. And then I just kept going. Um, I kept coming back to meetings. Um, I moved into town in April, and that was really cool. I got to trade the money I made at South By for rent. And it was fun. I felt like an adult again. Uh, I wasn't working, which gave me time for meetings. And I was just kind of like getting up, going for a long walk, coming to the noon, coming to the 5.30, going home for a little bit. And then I'd get on my motorcycle every night and just go out and see music by myself. And just have a Topo Chico everywhere I went and occasionally see people I knew, but mostly just sort of like I felt like this cool lone wolf <laughs> who's doing this thing. Um, it was awesome. 
uh, right about that time, I also was in a meeting on a Sunday, I think, and I um, heard a guy share that I could really relate to. And after the meeting, I said, uh, I really related to what you said. I didn't say it right after he shared, because crosstalk is bullshit, right? <laughs> but, um... <laughs> uh, I, uh... I said, yeah, I appreciate that. I feel that a lot. And he gave me a big hug, and then he kind of cornered me outside. Said, Do you have a sponsor? Are you working this stuff? <laughs> and, um, no. He said, well, call me. Actually, I said, well, why don't you call me? And he said, no, you call me. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought about it, and I called my, sort of my, I had an unofficial sponsor, the guy that did the yoga, and he said, does the guy have something you want? I said, well, he's got a job, and he's got a truck, and he's got a girlfriend. <laughs> so call him. <laughs> so I called him, and we agreed to do this thing, and the rule was like, read the first 164, and call me every single day, and um, we'll meet up, and we'll do that first three steps. Uh, he also said we're going to be best friends, and we'll probably take vacations together. <laughs> Which is, you know... I, uh, I felt really weird about that at the time. I look back on it right now, and this guy was uh, really working hard for me, and he was really in my corner. And as weird as that seems now, you know, everything that this guy did for me was done really in good faith. I just wasn't ready to do that work. Um, so when we got to the fourth step, I, I started getting into it. It didn't make sense to me, for one, because I was going to a therapist once a week and kind of doing a lot of that in there, which I highly recommend. Not everybody can afford it, but a therapist is actually maybe just as good or better than a sponsor. <laughs> Don't tell anyone I said that. <laughs> um, so I called him and just kind of said, I don't, uh, I don't feel like doing this. It feels too much like a confession to me, and I fucking hate religion. And then uh, a couple weeks later, I figured the whole God thing out, and, and it was fine. I, uh, I went up to Virginia, right outside of D.C., where my oldest sister lives, and got to spend a week with her, which was amazing. Um, she's got terminal brain cancer, which is just a real kick in the teeth. I remember when we found out in like 2016, I was devastated um, and really reacted poorly to it. But I think that was because I was really drunk. Because it... Um, It's still horrible. It's still really horrible, but it kind of is what it is. But I got to go up and spend time with her, and she was so at peace, and I didn't understand it. And I got to uh, talk to her about why she's so at peace. How can you be so at peace? And she told me that it was because of her relationship with Jesus Christ, which um, a year before I would have just laughed at her. Um, and what I came to realize is that when it comes to God, when it comes to a personal relationship with a higher power, that um, 
I don't have to believe in it for it to affect me. Because the peace that she felt, I swear to God, transferred over to me in that moment. And I no longer worried about her. I didn't worry. I I still worry about her kids. But I don't worry about her anymore. Um, And I came home realizing that, like, I don't have to believe in God to be affected by God. And that I can come into these rooms and I can benefit from everybody else's higher power until I can find my own. And that was huge because most of what was keeping me back in this thing was that this idea of a higher power and of God. Um, I do not believe in God, and I very, very much believe in God. (laughs) And I don't even struggle with that statement. So I came back and I had that, which was awesome. I understood the God thing, and I had a home um, until I didn't have a home. Because the agreement that we had made for me living in that place where I was going to work and trade for the rent didn't come through for one reason or another. Um, My best friend in the world set that whole thing up, and when it fell apart, I really blamed him, and it made it really hard to even look at him. Um, So I was right back out to Dripping Springs to the folks' house right where I'd started, and I didn't have that independence that I was feeling that felt good. And I also was like a 39-year-old living with his parents again. Um, and I wanted to die. I, uh, I started wanting to die, and I started actively, um, actively passively trying to get myself killed on my motorcycle. Um, the amazing thing, and I think where I first saw God, is that every time I got my wish which is a lot in this town because people suck at driving. Uh, Every time I got my wish, my instincts were taking over, that sort of drive to stay alive that I never had when I was drinking kicked in, and I would swerve out of the way. Maybe that's God. Um, But fuck, I wanted to die. It was a nightmare. Um, But I found relief. Uh, There's some people here, in fact, that that helped me a lot. But um, I found, like, a crew of people that I could spend time with. Uh, It started with somebody just asking me to lunch. Thomas asked me to lunch. (laughs) And I went and sat down with him and Francine and Eric. And... um, And all of a sudden, like, that thing that I had really wanted, this connection, that I forgot to tell you all how much I wanted a connection, but I think you all probably know. Um, I just, I needed it. Um, All of a sudden, I've got this little crew of people that I I have, and uh, I think I let them know how things were going. And I think that they listened to me, and... Uh, I think after a bit, it didn't seem quite as bad as I thought, and it passed, which is an incredible thing, because these feelings, if we are patient, will just pass. 
I learned that before from uh, a friend of ours who shared her story on March 2nd of last year. Look it up. Her name is Marnie. And she told me that fear is just a feeling passing through you. So check that out for sure. Stop the podcast. Listen to Marnie. (laughs) Come back and listen to me ramble. So um, I got through that, but I still wasn't really working any of these steps that everybody talks so much about. I I feel like I was... um, I definitely was curious about them, and I definitely gave them a lot of thought, and I was making effort. And I had this little crew of sponsors, like three of them, that I was asking questions of all the time. And, man, I ended up uh, sitting down with, I have a friend whose dad is 20 years sober, and I'm just reaching out to everybody because my new drug is advice. (laughs) And I sat down with him, and I kind of told him what I had going on, and he did the coolest thing in the world, which was say, um, he said, do you want me just to sit and listen to you, or do you want me to offer you some advice? Mm -hmm. And I told him I wanted the advice, and he said, I think you should probably find a sponsor because if you're like me, then you might be using these three or so people to just get what answer you want. Um, And my first thought was, that's bullshit. That's not what I'm doing at all. (laughs) But because of who this person was, I took the advice. And I I think I asked my sponsor to be my sponsor by saying, like, do you want to kind of... You might do. You, you know you're my sponsor, right, Steve? You even know that. I, that's kind of the way I do things. We. Um, I told him I wanted to do the the fourth step and sort of the issues that I was having with it. And and one of the things I had never done is the sex inventory. Um, so I did that. That was really interesting. It, it turns out that um, I wasn't really great at relationships and that I used people to make me feel better about myself. And that time goes a lot faster when you don't plan what you're going to say in one of these meetings. <laughs> um, what else happened? Amazing things happen. I'm sorry to skip on the cool stories about being drunk. Um, I used to I called the police on myself some, and then when they get there, I'd be pissed at them for telling me I should drink less. <laughs> the last time I had fun drinking was December 14th of 2014. I was reminded about that recently. I had a, a Christmas pageant at my house. I had a bunch of friends sing Christmas songs, and then we went out kazooling, which is where you carol with kazoos. (laughs) And I invented it, TM, and it's fucking awesome. Um, I was thinking a lot about that recently because uh, the pictures from that day are like the Back to the Future picture. Where all the all the friends that I had that night, I just can like over time watch them all disappear out of that photo. And what's incredible is once I started to take my life seriously again, 
those people all is like, you know, George punched Biff, kissed <laughs> Elaine, and these people just started showing up again. <laughs> it was fucking incredible. Um, and then when they did show up, I, I got to show them... Um, Show them what they meant to me by just continuing to do this work. Gosh, there's so many more things I wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk about when I came home from from D.C. with the God thing figured out. <laughs> My mom has a very close personal relationship with Jesus Christ also. And um, she struggled a lot when, when I lost that, when I abandoned it. Um, when I was younger, probably around 21. She even at one point decided that she was going to be an atheist too. And fortunately, it it didn't take with her because, um, you know, being able to recognize the strength that she gets from this relationship is really incredible. (coughs) And uh, she has been just the most powerful force in my life, I'd say. And I was so happy that I got to tell her, like, I figured out this God thing. It's just, and then I found peace, you know. I found the same peace that you have. I just found it a different way. Is that okay? She just said, no. (laughs) It's not. It's not okay. (laughs) And I don't know what I expected her to say. But... That moment, along with a bunch of moments at some other groups, uh, really sort of changed the way that I relate with people in this program. I remember um, the first bunch of times I'd go over to 1313, which is a fantastic meeting. Um, I love it so much, but the thing was, when I would be leaving the meeting, people would always ask me what step I was on. And when I would tell them I wasn't on any step, they would say, well, you're going to be drunk soon. You have to do this, 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 and this, or you're going to be drunk. Kind of like my mom saying, you know, and I would say, well, I'm sober, and I'm really happy, and I'm really comfortable, and I I love this learning, and I'm, I'm really things are getting so much better for me. And it was like, doesn't matter. If you're not on the fifth step yet, you're going to be drunk in a week. (laughs) And I I get it. This is, I completely understand because when something works for you and something is that profound, you want to share it. Mm -hmm. But what I realized is that that just wasn't going to be the way I was going to share things. It's uh, how'd you do it? Is that what we learned? Mm-hmm. How'd you do it? What's it like out there? How'd you do it? And I love, I love that. I love having sort of a non-traditional path through these steps because when I meet somebody who is struggling with them as well, I, I don't put any pressure on them. Um, I'm not a step salesman. <laughs> but I also realize that if I want to do the work and help people... I'm going to have to understand that stuff. So I'm starting again on it, and I'm starting again on the book, um, because at this point in my life and in my sobriety, working with other people is kind of the only thing that matters. You get to that point where you get to turn it out 
on the world um, where your focus isn't on you anymore. And that's like the most freeing, amazing feeling. I don't remember exactly when it happened. Maybe when I started chairing meetings and giving my sermons. (laughs) The first meeting I chaired, it was in August. And I, the night before, was riding my motorcycle. It was the the Sunday 10 a.m. meeting. I was riding my motorcycle, and I pulled up um, next to a homeless guy, and the weather was, for some reason, really cool. It felt like it was in the upper 60s in August. It didn't make any sense, and we were talking about that. And he said, what are your plans for the weekend? I said, well, I'm actually chairing my first AA meeting in the morning. And he said... That's great, man. Just remember, you're just sitting in the chair. Let God do the rest. And I came and like opened up the daily reflection and didn't like what it said on that day. So I looped around for something that I could talk for exactly five minutes about. And it was fucking awesome. It was great. Like that's the best thing is you you can you can chair so wrong. <laughs> and it's so great. Because then I, then when I started, then the next time I chaired, I had this idea that I would read the thing and then put it down and just say, all right, go. And then if people were off topic, I'd be so annoyed. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's really nice to be here and it's nice to get to talk. I think the next time I do this, I'll probably bring some notes. <laughs> but I, I have like just a couple of things I want to say. I saw a movie recently called Free Solo, and it's about a guy who climbs this really tall cliff without any ropes. And um, it's about his, his preparation, and it's about how uh, like his mindset why his drive and and a lot of it's about um how he you know the people who love him struggle with this because he's you know using his fingertips to go three thousand feet straight up uh, and for some reason wants to do it without ropes and he lives which is fine It makes the movie the movie's a little more boring. <laughs> but um, I was thinking about that because I think when I set off to get sober, I thought that I could just do it without these ropes. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. That's you know, human beings are always trying to do these amazing feats, climbing Everest without oxygen. But the thing about it is when you get to the top of Everest without oxygen, there's not anyone else there. (laughs) And while you're going up Everest without oxygen, there's not anyone else there. And it's not just that they're not there to help you out if you need them. You're not helping anybody. This guy that climbs El Capitan with no ropes just steps over a couple climbers when they're waking up one morning. Just walks right past them. He doesn't say... How's your climb? How's your day? You guys want to come with me? I know the fastest way. I know the easiest way. He just goes on his own. He gets to the top and remembers to call his fucking poor girlfriend who (laughs) thinks he's dead. (laughs) Uh, And that hit me. Like, uh, that's why I want to get back into the book. 
That's why I want to learn how to actually do these steps, whether I feel like I need them or not, because I can't teach something that I haven't done. I've been sober over a year, and I feel fucking great. And, you know, I want to share that, and I want to share it well. I want to share it so that it sticks. The last day that I ever drank, I woke up, and I went and worked an event with some friends, and when it was over, they were talking about going to lunch together for someone's birthday. And I remember keeping, like, I kept finding extra work to do so that I didn't have to leave alone. And I kept waiting for them to invite me to come to lunch with them. And they just kept not inviting me to lunch. Mm -hmm. Repeatedly. (laughs) You know, it's like, can I sweep the floor? Can I take the trash out? What can I do? Just waiting for them to invite me. And I knew what was going to happen if they didn't. And they didn't. And what was going to happen, happened. And it sucked. Now, I can't leave this room without somebody saying, do you want to get lunch? And that is the best fucking thing in the world. This fellowship is incredible. I guess I'm done. Thank you guys. (laughs)